of starting the 8.30 service with a couple of baptisms this morning. You know, baptism is a believer publicly identifying that they trust in and follow Christ. It, it's a picture that we get to see, a visual picture of, of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ and his power over sin and death. And so this morning, I have Olivia Kilpatrick here with me. And Olivia is a senior and uh, has just made a profession of, of Christ over this past year and, and trips and on Wednesday nights and 
and uh, her Connection Group teacher, uh, Kathy Swanson. They've had lots of great conversations, and, and she's trusted in Christ and wants to come here today and publicly uh, confess that. And so first I want to introduce her family and friends, her dad, um, David Kilpatrick, Brian. or Brian Kilpatrick, <laughs> excuse me, and then also um, David and, and Lindsay Wiley, and then she's got other family and friends, and I know their students are here, and so if you guys please stand in, in her honor, that'd be great. Thank you very much. You can be seated. Olivia, in front of your family and, and church family and friends, will you confess Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord. Olivia, upon your confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next, we have Jamie Norris. Jamie's also a senior, and uh, Jamie, about a month ago, prayed to receive Christ on a Sunday morning in connection groups, and so, man, I just want to take a second. I've got incredible student ministry leaders. If you notice a pattern, Miss Kathy having an impact, Chris Welch having an impact in Jamie's life, and so I've got incredible student ministry leaders that pour in on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights, and, and they're such a valuable asset to this church. Jamie is also a senior, and like I said, about a month ago, he confessed uh, Christ as Lord uh, in, in a connection group. And so we've got uh, his, his dad here, Jamie Norris Sr., and other siblings, and I know his girlfriend's here, and other family and friends. Would you guys please stand in his honor? Thank you very much. Jamie front of your family and friends, will you confess Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord. Awesome, brother. Upon your confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Let's continue to worship. A great way to celebrate new life in Christ, and so we want to welcome you to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are here this morning, and if you're a guest or you're new, we're especially glad that you're here. We'd love to get to know you. We do that through the guest card that's located in front of you there in the pew rack. If you could take one of those out and fill it out for us, and then after our service, if you'd walk that to the Welcome Center, it's to the left out the double doors. Uh, I'll be there, or another member of our Welcome Team will be there. You could just hand that to us, and then we have a small gift for you coming and being a part of our service this morning. We want to continue to celebrate what God has done in our lives and what he's doing in the life of our community. So let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll continue to worship together. Father, we thank you so much, um, Lord, to just see people going from death to life, God. And God, we're grateful for a church that every month we celebrate baptism. So Father, today, as we celebrate you working in our lives, and we celebrate you rising from the grave, Father, would you move in our hearts? May today be pleasing to you, and we ask all of this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's continue to sing. He turns graves into gardens.
Because of your grace, our chains are gone. You've turned gardens from our graves. And that's an amazing thing, Lord. Let's sing this together.
come before you this morning thanking you for the beautiful wonderful thing called grace that's you're giving us your your riches your favor not because we deserve them but because you are worthy and so lord we thank you for breaking down chains we thank you for growing gardens and deserts and places of death Oh, we give your, you the honor and glory for all that you do in our lives. Lord, help us to have trust and faith that you know better and that you have a plan for our lives. Lord, I pray for Jake now as he comes and brings your message. I pray for Dr. Cox and Cindy as they're off on vacation. But Lord, I pray that Jake this morning will come and you'll speak through him. Bring us the word of God that, that you would like for us to hear this morning. Fill Jake with this, your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may hear spirit to spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, thank you, Todd, and musicians for leading us in worship. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 25 today. And the, our question of the text we're going to be asking is, what does it look like to embody or to live out the gospel in a broken world with broken relationships? I'll give you some context. We're picking up here in 1 Samuel into the life of David. David is on the run from King Saul. King Saul knows that David has been anointed to be the next king. Um, Saul would like to keep the throne in his family line. He would like Jonathan to be the next king. And so Saul wants to kill David. David's got this group of followers, these rebels, these 400 of his mighty men who are going through the wilderness with him. 
and they're fugitives because of their rebellion against King Saul. And this is where we pick up in the text with David in the wilderness. And uh, this is going to be a case study. What we're going to look at here is what does it look like to embody Jesus in a broken world? We pick up here right now in verse 2, 1 Samuel 25. It says this, a man in Maon had a business in Carmel. He was a very rich man with 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. So this man is about to harvest what he's been working on here for a little bit. Now the, the wool from his sheep, verse 3 says, this man's name was Nabal, which means fool. We're going to find out here in a second. His wife's name was Abigail. The woman was intelligent and beautiful, but the man, a Calebite, was harsh and evil in his dealings. So if you're keeping score at home, we've got Abigail, who is lovely, intelligent, and beautiful. And if Nabal has been successful in his business at all, I would probably infer it's probably been much to the work of Abigail in his life. But we see that Nabal is harsh, stingy, and no one liked working with him. So verse 4. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men instructing them, go up to Carmel. When you come to Nabal, greet him in my name. Then say this, long live you. Peace to you. Peace to your family. Peace to all that's yours. I hear that you're shearing. And when your shepherds were with us, we didn't harass them. Nothing of theirs was missing the whole time they were in Carmel. David's message to Nabal, we helped you. If you have received any kind of profit, it's in part due to our protection and the investment we made in your business. We could have stolen from you. That was commonplace with an army this size that David had, but we didn't. Even more so, we protected you. We were good to you, Nabal, so now you should be good to us. So look here in in verse 8. It says, ask your young men, they'll tell you. Let my young men find favor with you. We have come on feast day. Please give whatever you have on hand to your servants and to your son, David. David said, hey, we were good to you. Could you be good to us? David even kind of makes it personal. It says, your son, David, meaning I treated you like family. Verse 9, David's young men went and said these things to Nabal on David's behalf, and then they waited. What's his response going to be? Verse 9 or verse 10. Nabal said to them, who is David? Who is Jesse's son? So he knows who David is. And notice this. He said, listen, you're not my son. We're not family. You belong to Jesse. Here we go. He says this. Many slaves are running away from their masters. Am I supposed to take my bread, my water, my meat that I butchered for my shears and give them to these men? I don't know where they're from. Nabal says, I didn't need your help. I didn't ask for your help. If you wanted to help me, good for you. I don't owe you a thing. Now go and kick rocks. If you're David for a moment and you hear this, what do you think's going on in your mind? (sighs) Right? Nabal is a fool. Look at verse 12. David's young men retraced their steps. When they returned to him, they reported these words. And David said to his men, Put on your swords. And all the men put on their swords, and then they said, let's go, right? The text doesn't say that, but that's what I think happened. It says David put on his sword as well. Luckily, by the providence of God, there are other people watching this situation play out. Verse 14, one of Nabal's young men informed Abigail, Nabal's wife, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master. But he screamed at them. Verse 15, the men treated us well. He's backing up David's story. When we were in the field, meaning the whole time we were vulnerable, we didn't have any protection, we weren't harassed, and nothing of ours was missing the whole time we were living among them. They were a wall around us, both day and night, the entire time we were there herding the sheep. Meaning it was almost like David had been a shepherd before. It's almost like David knew the protection they would have needed. He took care of them in their vulnerable position. And 
David also knew the right thing to do would be to repay them for what they did for Nabal. Verse 17, consider carefully what you should do because there is certain trouble for our master and his entire family. He is such a worthless fool, nobody can talk to him. Oh, let's pause here for a second. Let me ask you, are, are you ever like this? Where you can be so stubborn, dig your heels in so far that nobody could ever talk any sense to you? Are you ever like that? Or are you humble? Are you teachable? Are you open to correction? And you would allow some people to talk sense and wisdom into your life so you could do the right thing. I want you to know sometimes it's good to be stubborn. There's other times where being so stubborn that people know there's no sense in even talking to them. But the Bible literally tells us here in this moment, that's foolish. You really shouldn't do that. Verse 18, Abigail hurried. She is so smart. Taking 200 loaves of bread, two clay jars of wine, five butchered sheep, a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on a donkey. You might be wondering why all the detail. Here's the thing. Nabal was about to have a party, a feast, because of the shearing and the harvest time. And as he's about ready to throw this party, all of these things are just collected and ready for the feast. So she's able to grab all of them really quick. This is what Nabal should have done, didn't do, and now Abigail's going to do it because it is the right thing to do. Verse 19, then she said to her male servants, go ahead of me. I'll be right behind you. She did not tell her husband, Nabal. This is like the reverse of when your wife buys a bunch of things on Amazon and then hides the boxes before you can see them, right? Not that that's ever happened in my house, but I'm just saying, you can see, she doesn't want her husband to know that she's doing this. Verse 20, as she rode on the donkey down the mountain past Hidden View, she saw David and his men coming towards her, and she met them. 400 men coming down a mountain. This view is hidden. Nobody can see what's about to happen. This woman steps into the place of death, of harm, in order to save her people. Does that sound familiar to you? Is there anywhere else in the Bible where we see someone stepping into the place of death in order to save many? This is a picture of Christ right here from Abigail. And I want you to see what she does because it's so on point with how we navigate conflict and how we navigate relationships. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey, knelt down with her face to the ground. Now, what Abigail's going to do, it's brilliant. She is going to speak to his potential, right? This is one of the best leadership lessons in the scriptures. So if you're a spouse, a parent, you have any kind of leadership in your life at all, you need to pay attention to this. I want you to see this. Abigail is going to look past what David is planning to do. And she's going to speak into his future. And she's going to speak to his potential. She's saying, hey, David, I know what you're planning. This is not who you are. This is not who you will become. You're better than this. Uh, ladies, you do this to your husband all the time, don't, don't, don't you? And guys, don't we always fall for this a little bit? Katie sometimes will come home from the grocery store with the van full of groceries, and she'll say, hey, you know what? I bet you can't carry all those groceries in one trip. I bet you can't do it. And I'm like, huh? watch me, right? And here I am. I pick them all up and go on inside and, and I know what she's doing. I fall for it every time. But here's what she's doing. She's calling him up to who he could be. Not calling him out for who he currently is. Verse 24. She knelt at his feet and said, the guilt is mine. It's not her fault. This is Nabal's fault. But she owns it. Please let your servant speak to you directly. Listen to the words of your servant. She is not his servant. She's a wife of a wealthy man. But she is being subservient to, to David. Now, let me tell you something. Sometimes people use texts like this in the Old Testament, and they use it to say that this is how women should interact with men today. And I want you to know that's not the case at all. 
ladies, if you try to do this, this would just be weird in our cultural t- today, in our culture today. But there is a cultural parallel. And it's not just for women. You see, in the scriptures, we are told as Christ followers that we should submit our will to each other out of reverence for Christ. Uh, Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 1 Peter 5.5, all of you should be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. You see, for us Christ followers, we're always in a race to the back of the line. For us, our posture is always this. We know that the first are going to be last, and the last are going to be first. And so we submit to one another. We humble ourselves to one another. And that's what she's doing here. Verse 25, my Lord should pay no attention to this worthless fool Nabal, for he lives up to his name. His name means stupid, and stupidity is all he knows. Oh. Just unsolicited marriage advice. Live in such a way where your wife would not talk about you this way to other people. Can I get an amen? Amen. Verse 26. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, the Lord who kept you from participating in bloodshed. Pause right here. This is what the calling up to who he could be speaking to his potential. She essentially just did a Jedi mind trick on him. You know when Obi-Wan in in, in New Hope says, these are not the droids you are looking for. She just said to David, you're not going to do the thing you are planning to do, right? And David's kind of nodding his head at him. He says this, the Lord who kept you from participating in bloodshed and from avenging your own hand, may your enemies be like those who intend to harm my Lord like Nabal. She's giving him credit for being a better man than he is. Verse 28, please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord is certain to make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. She's building him up. David, I know God is planning something great for you. I know you have been called to greatness, David. This is not who you are. Notice this, she says, because you, David, you fight the Lord's battles throughout your life, May evil not be found in you. David, you're a good man. This is not who you are. This is not who you'll become. And then she turns it, turns the conversation, verse 29. Someone's pursuing you, and he intends to take your life. But my Lord is tucked safely in the place where the Lord your God protects the living. That word tucked, you would take your wallet in that culture, and you would wrap it in a leather cord, And then you would take it and you would tuck it into your cloak and there would be a pocket right there. And that's how you would protect what is valuable to you. Uh, When I go on mission trips to Paris, France, I have this wallet that goes around my shoulder like this. And I'm able to put all my valuables right here uh, by my chest. And then I put on my jacket, zip up. And pickpockets are so common in France, right? So I could get on the metro and they could try to pickpocket me. They'll never get there. The only way they could ever get to my wallet is if they put their hand in, in my jacket, right? And then I would just break their arm and it wouldn't happen at all. But he's basically saying, David, you're valuable. God's got a plan for you. He's got a great purpose for your life. You are secure by God's chest, by his heart. That's, that's where he has you. And he's saving you, David. He's saving you to something very specific. And you hear that today and you think, well, that's great for David, but what about me? What I want you to hear is that the same is true of you. A New Testament parallel to this would be Ephesians 2.10, which says we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So looking at this verse, what I can tell you is that your life has been tucked to the heart of God. And he's got purpose for you. He's got plans for you. There are things in your life that he wants you to do for his glory. My question for you this morning is, do you believe that? Because many of you, for whatever reason, you don't. Why? He is so good. He wants to use you. Would you realize that right here is where you are? 
he's got purpose for you. She turns the conversation again. She says, but he is flinging away your enemies' lives like stones from a sling. She just took David back to when he was 15 years old. And there was this giant coming out, talking trash about God and his people. And what did David say? Somebody's got to do something about that. She's saying, David, do you remember when you didn't take matters into your own hands? David, do you remember when your life was all about trusting God and knowing that he was going to work all things out for his glory? Here's the question that she's ultimately asking David. David, years from now, what story do you want to tell about this moment? When you're sitting down with your grandkids, you want to say, hey, let me tell you about this story about me and the ball and what I did there. That turns on us for a moment. What season of life are you in right now? Are you in a season of life where there's difficulty? We all got difficulty, right? We all got some problems. My question for you is this, five years from now, what story do you want to tell? What narrative do you want to share with the people around you about the current season you are in? Do you want your narrative to be, I got bitter because of what happened and I never recovered? I held a grudge and I could not forgive. Do you want your narrative to be, I sought revenge and I got them back? Do you want your narrative to be, I was so fearful that I did nothing and I was paralyzed by my fear? Or do you want the narrative to be, I trusted the Lord. He worked everything out the way it should be. Verse 30. When the Lord does for my Lord all the good he promised you and appoints you ruler over Israel, there will not be remorse or troubled conscience for my Lord because of needless bloodshed or my Lord's revenge. And then when the Lord does good things for my Lord, may you remember me, your servant. She says, David, I believe you're going to change your mind. I, don't want, I believe you don't want your story to be needless bloodshed. You don't want your story to be you took revenge. Now, from this conversation, David sees things in a brand new light. You see, here's the thing. In, in these moments, you can criticize and judge somebody, or you can call them up to their potential and see what God does in their lives. One brings guilt and shame. The other allows people to see themselves in a different light. Verse 32. Then David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you to meet me today. May your discernment be blessed. May you be blessed. Today you kept me from participating in bloodshed and avenging myself by my own hand. You look at what Abigail did. What did she do? She brought food. She humbled herself. She spoke to who he could be. The Bible says Abigail is smart and beautiful. Verse 35 David accepted what she had brought him. He said, go home in peace. I've heard what you said. I've granted your request. The verse before this says, if you had not come and met me here today, we would have wiped out your whole village in the matter of hours. But because you met me, your village will be saved. Verse 36. Then Abigail went to Nabal. And there he was in his house, holding a feast fit for a king. Notice here, he's holding a feast for the king, for a king, and the true king is in the wilderness without a feast. Nabal's heart was cheerful, and he was very drunk, so, he didn't say, so she didn't say anything to him until morning light. She realized, I'm not going to have a good conversation with you here. We'll just wait until morning. Verse 37, in the morning when Nabal sobered up, his wife told him about these events. His heart died. He became stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck the ball dead. Here's the point of the story. You don't have to take matters into your own hands. God is good. He is sovereign. He is just. He will make things right. He will fight your battles for you. So David hears that 
Abigail's back on the market. Verse 42. Then Abigail, or he sends word, says, hey, see if she's interested. Verse 42. Abigail got up quickly with her five female servants accompanying her, her bridesmaids, rode on a donkey following David's messengers, and she quickly became his wife. And they lived happily ever after the end. I added that last part. It's not actually how that story goes at all. But here's what I want to do. With the rest of our time together, I want to apply this story to our lives, okay? We get three characters, four responses, one hero. you got a chart in your notes. Let's go through this together. The first kind of thing we have here about broken relationships in a broken world, how do we navigate them? Number one, you can do evil for good. David says in verse 21, I'll just read this to you. Um, he said, we did good to them. He paid me back evil for good. You can do that, but let me just tell you, the Bible says that's foolish. Don't live that way. All right, so let's just say that one's out. Don't live like Nabal. If you get anything from this story, don't be Nabal. But the second character we see and the option you have about living life in a broken world with broken relationships is this. You can repay evil for evil. This is David, right? And really, in the Old Testament, this really wasn't out of line. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. In the world David lived in, this was kind of normal. It was human. It was common. Um, after David's encounter with Abigail, David changes his tune. He shows us our fourth option, and that is neutral or nothing for evil, right? What does your parents always tell you? Just ignore it, right? You don't have to do anything. And let me tell you, in your relationships, for some of you, this is a good step forward. Instead of feeling like you have to respond to everything, just be neutral. And what you see here, it's not a bad option, but it's not the best, is that this is mercy. See, Nabal did evil. David could have gave him what he deserved, repaid him with evil. But mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. That's what David is going to do here. He's just going to do nothing. But there's a better option here than just living in neutrality. And that's what we see in Abigail. Abigail shows us a better way, and that is repaying good for evil. You might say for a moment, well, why in the world would I want to do that? Well, let me show you why. Peter when he watched Jesus be unjustly arrested, tortured, and murdered, he writes to Christians one day in 1 Peter 3, 9 through 11, and he says this, do not pay back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing or giving good since you were called to this, he's essentially saying they crucified our leader it's not going to go well for us, too. We're going to be persecuted as well. He says, since you were called to this as a Christ follower, so that you may inherit a blessing. Peter's saying, when you experience evil, don't repay with evil. Don't just ignore and be neutral. Peter said, be a blessing to people who persecute you, who bring evil to you, to, who offend you. Where did Peter get this crazy idea? He got it from Jesus. We look at Matthew 5, 43, 44. You have heard it said, Jesus says, meaning in the old covenant. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That's the old covenant. That's the world David lived in. Verse 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, for being a Christ follower... Repaying good for evil could be the most incarnational thing you could ever do. That's a big theological word. Let me tell you what it means. Incarnational meaning you embody God. You embody Jesus. The most Christ-like thing you can do in a broken world is repay evil with good. So two questions we want to ask as we close this morning. Number one. What story do you want to tell? As you look at the current situation you're living in right now, five years from now, what story do you want to tell? What do you want that narrative to look like? 
here's the beautiful thing. You get to choose. You're not bound to anything. You can choose the path here. You have one life to tell. Tell a remarkable story. Don't tell a predictable narrative. What story do you want to tell? Number two, what would it look like for you to return good for evil? We all may be wondering, what does this look like? I want to use the rest of my time with you, and I want to show you a quick video. It's three minutes long. I want to give you a picture of real life. What does it look like to repay good for evil? Let's take a moment and watch this together. Well, let's, consider well, let's consider the story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Their story began in the late 1940s. Jim loved God and prioritized his time by studying the Bible above all else. Both he and Elizabeth felt this call to become missionaries, and they wanted to share the love and truth of God with unreached people. Jim's motto was, no fool can give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now in 1955, after several years of ministry serving the indigenous people of Ecuador, Jim felt it was time to share the good news of Jesus with the Alka, a remote people group deep in the jungle. The Alka, however, had a reputation for violence and suspicion towards outsiders. Nevertheless, Jim and his team demonstrated this remarkable willingness to go. But first, they had to locate the tribe and then attempt to make contact. Now at that time, none of this was easy and required communicating in a language that no outsider had ever mastered. One of Jim's teammates, a pilot, believed that if they could find a village, the safest way to make the first contact would be to drop a bucket of gifts from his airplane. And after locating signs of this Alcan village, they did just that over a period of weeks. Now after a while, the Alcas even sent gifts back up in the bucket to this plane. Now at this point, the missionaries felt it was time to meet face to face. So their pilot flew the team in one by one and they set up a camp away from the village while waiting for the Alcas to respond. Now after four days, three Alcas appeared. The group spent two days together in the hope that the Alcas would return from their tribe and bring even more people back with them. And that's exactly what happened. But the team of missionaries quickly realize that this would not be a friendly encounter. Jim, it said, ran excitedly to greet the new arrivals, but he and his team members were immediately attacked. And these five brave missionaries were all killed that day. We know from Jim's journal that even though the missionaries carried weapons for their own protection, each man had promised that he would not kill an Alka who did not know Jesus. Jim Elliot's death was a tragic loss, but this is not how the story ends. What happened next was truly remarkable. You see, Jim's wife, Elizabeth, who is wholeheartedly devoted to listening and obeying God, she answered God's call to enter into this mess of her own grief and anger. And then less than two years later, Elizabeth and her three-year-old daughter moved to live in a remote Alcan village and they demonstrated love and forgiveness, and many Alcas became followers of Jesus as a result of this. So no longer are they a people known for violence, but are now known by their traditional name, the Huayarani, the true people. Well, let's consider this. As we close, I want to give you two last thoughts, and that's this. Returning good for evil, it sets you apart. To be set apart means to be holy. Our holiness can't just be a code of ethics and do's and don'ts that we have. Our holiness has to affect the way we treat people. Returning good for evil, it sets you apart. It makes you different from the world. Lastly, returning good for evil, it sets you free. You're no longer controlled by the common human urges to get back at people given something better you're able to give grace and that sets you free as we close today i just wonder do you need freedom if you do would you take a moment pray with me right now let's pray together father i thank you for the picture of jesus you give us in the life of abigail 
and how her life sets this example for us to return good for evil. Lord, we live in a broken world and we will encounter brokenness in every step. But Father, we want to embody the gospel. We want to live people who are incarnational, who embody Jesus to everyone we encounter. In order to have that, we have to have a relationship with you. So if there's anyone here that does not have that, Lord, would they not leave this place without? But for those of us who are Christ followers, may we embody you where we live, work, and play, and may you move through us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, you may say, hey, I want what you're talking about. This good for evil thing, I need that. You can have that this morning. You come forward and talk to me or or I'll get you to somebody who can counsel you and help you with your relationship with Jesus. Maybe say, hey, I want to join a church and lock arms with people who can help me live this way. You can do that in the same way by coming forward. But if the Spirit of God is moving in your heart today, would you allow Him to have His way? We want to take a moment. We want to stand together. Would you stand now? And let's respond to the Word of God together that we have heard. from sleep separated night time from the day with nothing more than words he created all the earth then he breathed his life into the clay he made mankind in his image to reflect his own desire darkest days He makes the shadows disappear Like the moon reflects the sun You reflect the Holy One The one who wipes away all tears He is a beacon when you're broken and you're far from home Burn the brightest when you trust in Him alone. Child of the light, walk in the light. Yes, He is the light the darkness cannot hide. Shine like a star, it's truth in your heart. That's who you are. Burn. 
So I have a couple quick announcements for us. Um, we have Graduate Recognition Sunday coming up this next Sunday. So I hope you join us for um, a great Sunday of celebrating those graduating high school seniors and all they've accomplished. Next, today is the National Day of Prayer for Vacation Bible School. And I'm challenging you as you go um, throughout your day to just pray for Vacation Bible School. And also, all the kids are inviting five friends to VBS, and they cannot be outdone. So, or you can't let them outdo you, sorry. Um, so I'm asking everyone to invite five people to Vacation Bible School. We have these invite cards at the Welcome Center. If you can think of five people that you would like to invite, um, it is available for kids entering kindergarten through complete eighth grade and Jake gets brownie points because he mentioned the VBS verse um, Ephesians 210 that's what I thought it was the um, we are God's workmanship created um, in Christ Jesus points. well if you memorize the verse then you'll get a prize at oh. VBS so okay um, I'll ask you I'll ask you later what if you memorize Ephesians 210 <laughs> yeah yeah um, <laughs> so um, Kids are challenged at VBS to memorize that verse so um, they can come and get a prize and learn um, that God has created them in his image. So we're going to pray for Vacation Bible School and then you'll be dismissed to connection groups um, and for the rest of your Sunday. So let's pray together. God, um, we thank you for a wonderful message today about um, repaying evil for good, Lord, and um, what a Christ-like thing that is to do and that you did for us. We pray for Vacation Bible School, that you would begin preparing the hearts and the minds of the kids and youth that are going to be coming um, that week, and you would begin working in their hearts so that they would come to Vacation Bible School and hear your message that you have for them. I pray that children and youth would be saved because of Vacation Bible School, that you would bring people to you. Father, I just pray for our leaders. I pray for them as they are preparing their lessons that you would just help them and you would um, give them the right words to say and to love on the kids and show your love to the kids that are coming, Father. I pray for everything that's involved in our community that it could have an impact in Manchester and Coffee County. Lord, thank you so much um, for your goodness to us, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Star, there's truth in your heart, that's who you are.